Well, good morning, church. Uh, I hope you're doing well today. And uh, good morning to, oh, applause. That's, that's a completely unnecessary. Stop it. Um, if you're uh, joining us online, we're so thankful that you're a part of us uh, in our online community. So uh, God bless you today. Uh, don't have any time today to uh, dive into stories about my kids or, you know, pour water into stuff or whatever. We need to get into God's word. So open up your Bible, go to Colossians, Colossians chapter one. We're going to look at verses 15 through 23 today. And uh, this is a part of a, a series that we're doing all summer called Ripple, where we're going going uh, verse by verse through the entire book of Colossians. So uh, pull out your Bible and uh, get there as quickly as possible. Um, Have you ever thought about what it would be like if there were no creator? There were no creator, there was no savior, there's no hope for the future. I mean, just allow yourself, I mean, even though it's uncomfortable for most of you, allow yourself just to to think about what that would be like. What are the implications if there's no creator, there's no savior, and then there's no hope for the future. I mean, tomorrow future or anything after your life while you're here on planet earth. And the reality is that there's a whole bunch of people that live uh, with that sort of worldview or that sort of belief or that sort of perspective. There, There is no creator. There is no savior. There's no hope for the future. This is it right here and right now. And if there's no creator and if there's no savior and if there's no hope for the future whatsoever, then basically what we're saying is the implications are all of this. The entire universe, everything in it, including you and me, just all happened by chance. We're saying that something came from nothing. We're saying that there's no one that can save us from ourselves. There's no one can save us from uh, each other. There's no one that can save us from sin. There's no one that can save us from death or separation. we're, We're stuck This is it. And based on that, then we're also saying then there's no hope for the future. Uh, We we got nothing. In other words, uh, you better just eat and drink for tomorrow we die. So we should probably just pack it in right now unless you want to hear Brad's voice is pretty. And so if you hang in there, that's kind of nice. But the reality is we should probably just cut you loose, save you 30 minutes, and you can go out and just have a burger or two or 14. (laughs) Because this is all you got. And if this is all you got, then why not have 14 burgers? Just go for it. So once we we realize, though, that, that we're probably not going to die tomorrow... We're probably going to die another day, maybe uh, 10 years or 20 or maybe more. Then if this is all there is, then you better find a way to cope. You you better find something to uh, focus on, something that you think is going to make life matter or make life count while we're here. It might be money. It might be fame. It might be power. It might be influence. It might be uh, uh, something that you can accomplish. It might be some religious system that makes you feel better. You know, at least you're doing the right things and avoiding the wrong things. 
If there's no creator, no savior, no hope for the future, then this is it right here, right now. It's bleak. Uh, But I got good news for you today. I got good news for you today. It's good news. It's the gospel. This is my gospel dance right here. Are you uncomfortable yet? I am. Can't believe I did that. Um, I got good news for you today. Really, really good news. We're going to look at the good news in Colossians chapter 1, verses 15 through 23. Uh, We're going to look at this good news that's addressing um, something that everybody needs to know. It's addressing an issue that is Pastor John opened up our study last week. Uh, This letter to the Colossians was addressing a number of the problems that the Colossians were facing, two of which were, is Jesus really supreme And is Jesus really sufficient? Is he really enough? And just to fast track it, uh, the answer to both of those questions today is a resounding yes. He is supreme and he is sufficient. He is enough. If you're wondering if there is a creator today, uh, if you're wondering if there is a savior today, if you're wondering if there is any hope for the future today, uh, the answer is yes, And his name is Jesus. His name is God, the son, Jesus, the Christ. And he is, as Paul is going to lay out here, he is the creator. Uh, He is the savior, the reconciler, and he is our hope for the future. And rather than us uh, diving into the what of creation today, or the what of salvation today, or the what of the future today, we're going to talk about the who of creation today, and the who of salvation today, and the who of the future today, and the who of all those things is Jesus Christ. And based on that, he is supreme and sufficient And the ripple effects of that for me and you are tremendous or should be. Take a look at Colossians chapter 1. Look at verse 15. Here's the creator, Jesus. The Son is the image of the invisible God. Uh, The Son. God the Son is the image. Now that word image means uh, the exact likeness or manifestation. It doesn't mean uh, similar to, it means exactly like. The sun is the image of the invisible God. Uh, To some extent, apart from Jesus, God is unknowable and unseeable. But what I love about Jesus is Jesus makes the unknowable knowable. Uh, Jesus makes the unseeable seeable. That's fantastic. The firstborn, Jesus described, over all creation. And their firstborn is not to be understood that Jesus was born like you and I are born. He is not a creature. He's the creator. Yes. Was he born into humanity through the Virgin Mary? Yes. But is that when Jesus started? No. Was he created in that moment? No. John tells us that in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. 
And then several verses later, it says, and then the word became flesh and dwelt among us. In other words, Jesus is the word become flesh. In the beginning was Jesus and Jesus was with God and Jesus was God. And then Jesus took on flesh and dwelled among us. Jesus' very nature, God, he has always existed. Verse 16, for in him, Jesus, all things were created. Things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers and authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things and in him all things hold together. Jesus is supreme first and foremost because he is very nature God, our creator. And as our creator, he created the entire universe, the whole operating system in heaven and on earth, designed and fashioned, created by Jesus. That's huge for me and you to understand or be reminded of because Jesus isn't just a guy who came and died on a cross and rose again. He's almighty God and he is also the one that created everything. And if he created everything, then that means he's omnipotent. He's all powerful. So now when you talk about Jesus, you interact with Jesus, you come to understand who he is, he isn't just a guy. He is our creator. He's all powerful. He's all knowing. That's big implications for us. And then what's cool here is that what he has done in all of creation Now Paul leans in and he says, this is our creator, God. This is what he's done in all of creation. Now look, Jesus is creating something new in people, in his people, in the people he loves and the ones that love him, his church, brothers and sisters in Christ. Look at verse 18. And he, Jesus, is the head of the body, the church, He is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead so that in everything he might have supremacy for God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. See, Jesus now, uh, if you're reading here for some clues, you, you start to read, okay, he's here to reconcile and he's here to make peace through a certain uh, set of events. Well, that gives us clues that in this amazing creation, something went wrong. Something got broken because you don't need uh, a reconciler if everything's great, right? You don't need peace if there's already peace. And we come to discover, if you read the the scriptures, that what is evident all around us is sin entered the world, uh, disobedience entered the world, the nature that we've got to kind of go our own way and operate independent of God. 
And that, that separates us from God. It separates us from ourselves even. It separates us from other people. The consequences, the ripple effect of sin has been great. But Jesus, Jesus has come to reconcile. Reconciliation means to put a relationship back together that's been damaged. And our savior is the creator. He's the reconciler. Our relationship with God was damaged and broken. And rather than leave it that way, Jesus says, I'm coming to fix a damaged relationship between me and my people. I'm coming to bring peace where there's only been angst or hostility or tension. And how did he do it? Through his blood shed on the cross. You want one of the most hideous, uh, graphic pictures of where your sin and my sin will take us? You've only got to look to the cross. Jesus knows that this was his mission, was to go lay down his life for the people that he loves. Because the sin that is killing us was also separating us from God. So he is going to literally die and he's going to literally take the judgment, the punishment of all sin on himself so that you don't have to die and I don't have to die. So that you don't have to get judged and I don't have to get judged. Jesus took the death. Jesus took the judgment and he was our substitute. He stands in the gap for us. Our creator then came to reconcile us. The night before Jesus is going to go to the cross, he knows it's coming. He steals away to a garden to pray. And he prays to his heavenly father and he says, Father, if there's any other way that I don't have to do this, that would be fantastic. But not my will, but yours be done. And the gospel of Luke records that Jesus began to sweat blood. It's a medical condition called hematidrosis. And it just basically means that when you get super stressed out, your body produces chemicals that break down the blood vessels in your sweat gland so that when you sweat, blood comes out with it. A side effect of it is it makes your skin extremely sensitive to the touch, like the worst sunburn you've ever had. That's the condition of Jesus' skin as he goes into the arrest and the beating and the crucifixion the next day. They, they march him over to be flogged before he's going to be crucified. That was common practice for those that were going to be executed by being hung on a cross. They did it with Jesus. They walk him over and they shackle him up around a post and they would flog him. A flog was a handle with leather straps coming out. Buried at the end of the leather straps are chunks of rock and metal and debris. And the Roman soldier would take that and lash you, wrap around the body of the person being flogged. Those chunks of rock and metal would sink down into flesh and muscle, tendon, ligament. When they felt like it had a good hold, they'd pull that loose and it would just rip to ribbons the body of the person that was being flogged. Now, I, I don't say this again to gross you out. I'm telling you this because one, this is what Jesus went through. And two, it's such a graphic reminder of the sin. It's a graphic reminder of where sin will take us. Jesus is now, he's bleeding tremendously, profusely. His heart's beating at double, triple the rate, trying to send blood through his body as fast as it's being lost. They march him up to Golgotha, the place of the skull where he's going to be crucified. 
in between a couple other criminals that day. And they nail the cross together. And then it's time to nail Jesus to the cross. And they pull an arm out as far as it will go. And then they'd take a spike, almost like a railroad tie. And when they first started crucifixion, they'd pierce right through the hand. But they found that the bones in your hand are too small and too fleshy. When they would upright the cross, it would pull right out and the body would fall off. So more likely, by the time that Jesus was being crucified, they pierced him through the wrist. You got two big bones in your arm here, the radius and the ulna. And if you could get the spike right through there, then that would support the weight of the person hanging up there on the cross. The problem is you got a major nerve that runs through uh, your wrist right there, sends feeling out to your fingertips. You ever hit your elbow really badly on something? The pain that Jesus experienced that that spike goes right through his wrist would be something like taking a pair of pliers and clamping down on that nerve in your elbow and twisting. And just side note, in the Greek, the word for hand included the wrist. So if scripture says that he was pierced through the hand, it could still be accurate even if he was pierced through the wrist. They pull the arm over, drive the spike through his wrist down into the wood below, do the same thing on the other side and then drive a spike through his feet. Then there would be a hole in the ground where they're going to upright the cross. It's going to fall into the hole. Typically what would happen is they'd upright the cross and uh, when the cross would fall into the hole, the person's shoulders would be separated from their sockets. And now it becomes incredibly difficult to breathe. You can't pull up on your arms to fill your lungs with air. So what you've got to do is you've got to push up off that spike going through your feet only to collapse back down again. Every time he does that, the rough wood of the cross is rubbing up against his filleted back that's been ripped to shreds by the flogging. And that's often why the Roman soldiers would come up and then break the legs of whoever was up on the cross, although they did not do that to Jesus, because it would speed up the death. If you can't pull up with your arms and you can't push up with your legs, then you're stuck there to suffocate and then bleed out and then die. And there Jesus hung. And he looks out over the crowd of people that have gathered and he says uh, some amazing assortment of things, one of which is, Father, forgive these people because they don't know what they're doing. Wouldn't be my first thought or reaction. But it was Jesus. You talk about supreme and sufficient. And this hideous picture of sin, I mean, it just grips me every single time that I see the cross, a picture of the cross or Jesus on the cross. It reminds me that there was a reason why he had to go there and he did it voluntarily. And eventually he breathes his last breath and he says, it is finished. In other words, uh, the debt is paid. Any debt that we owed because of our sin, any punishment that needed to be unloaded for sin, it's been paid, it's been satisfied, it's been finished, it's been taken care of. Well, what's that mean to me and you? It means that because of the person that work in Jesus, if you put your faith and trust in him, then that means you don't need to beat yourself up anymore. Jesus took the, don't minimize the work of Jesus on the cross by continuing to uh, punish yourself or beat yourself up. Don't minimize the person and the work of Jesus on the cross by, by continuing to, to do things your own way or continuing to sin. I mean, he took it all on himself. He was the substitute. And now, 
As a result of that, scripture says that God made him, Jesus, who knew no sin, become sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God. 2 Corinthians 5.21. In other words, because of what Jesus did, you get to hand Jesus your sin and he hands you his righteousness. Best trade ever. That's good news. There's a creator that we've got. Jesus Christ, and he is also our savior, our reconciler. And because of what he did on the cross, we go from being guilty before God to being not guilty. Because any guilt, any shame, any punishment that honestly should be on us, Jesus said, I'll take it. Instead of you, I'll take it. We go from being an enemy of God because of our sin to being a friend of God because of what he did on the cross. Because sinful people can't be friends with God. But rather than leave us that way, God pursued, God stood in the gap and said, I'll reconcile. I will pull back together the relationship that's been damaged by sin. He's our creator. He's our savior, our reconciler, our fixer. And you think that doesn't have ripple effects on your life and my life? Oh, it does. It should. Look at what he says next. Here's the ripple effects. Verse uh, 21. Once you were alienated from God and were enemies in your minds because of your evil behavior, but now... He has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you holy in his sight without blemish and free from accusation. If you're uh, jotting things down, uh, notes uh, here or literally on paper, I love this of once you were, but now you are. Once you were this way and now you're this way. If you've come to understand the gospel who Jesus is as our creator and as our savior and as our hope for the future. And you put your faith and trust in what he did for you. Then once you were this, and you might list a whole bunch of things that are embarrassing or gross or whatever, but now you're something entirely different. You're someone entirely different. Is it because of something you did? No, it's because of everything that he did for you. This is the gospel. This is such good news. He created us and then he's rescued and reconciled and saved us. The same one that created the universe is creating a brand new heart in you. And once you were this, but now you are that if you're in Christ. If you got a relationship with God through Jesus. Once you were alienated, the word alienated there uh, means transferred uh, to another owner. You know, the devil would love to own you. But your creator, your reconciler, your savior, he made you. And then he's purchased you on the cross. And he loves you. He's got your best interest at heart. That's good news. You can wake up in the morning today and feel angry, stressed out, worried, depressed, frustrated, 
sinful, broken down. And because of the gospel, you can go to sleep tonight, uh, forgiven and free and loved and chosen and clean slate, a whole new purpose and plan for your future. That's good news because of Jesus. Do you know who you are? Here's a couple of descriptors that he gave right there. Because of Jesus, you are holy, without blemish, free from accusation. The enemy can't accuse you of anything. You'll stand before your maker someday, your creator someday. And he's going to see you the way he sees you now as you're in Christ. And that is holy, without blemish, free from accusation. That is more true about who you are than anything else that you think or feel today. And that's just the beginning. Uh, You're chosen, you're dearly loved. You're a fashion for a purpose by God to do good works in Christ Jesus that he prepared in advance for you. I mean, we can go on and on and on about what's really true about you. What ripple effects come from uh, understanding truly who Jesus is and what he's done for us? And now as we continue to walk in the gospel, preach the gospel to yourself every single day. I mean, even if, especially if you're a Christian. Look at, look at verse 23. If you continue in your faith, established and firm, and do not move from the hope held out in the gospel. The call for me and you is to continue in the truth of the gospel. It's to not move away from the truth of the gospel because there's all of our hope. It's in our creator. It's in our savior. And so the call is not to drift away. And the gospel teaches us that those who are really in a relationship with Jesus will not drift away. God will carry on to completion what he's started in you. This is the gospel that you heard and that has been proclaimed to every creature under heaven and of which I, Paul, have become a servant. The good news of who Jesus is and what he has done is already going out. It's gaining traction in Paul's day here. But he knew that this was going to be of worldwide significance. And scripture tells us that someday our creator and our reconciler savior is going to come back for his people and reconcile heaven and earth, wrap this whole thing up in the best package that we can hardly comprehend. But between now and then, the good news is going out to people who desperately need to hear it desperately need to be reminded there's a creator, there's a savior, and there is hope for the future. There's not just hope in some uh, uh, circumstances in the past. There's not just hope for today, but there's hope for tomorrow in this life and in the life to come. Why? How? Because of Jesus. Because he's always been and always will be. Because he's the same yesterday and today and forever. This is why I love Jesus with every fiber of my being. It's why the gospel has transformed my life. And like Paul, I am blessed to be a servant of Jesus and a servant of his good news. 150, 200 years ago, true story, this happened. 
It was getting late and the Soviet officer had beaten and tortured Paulus for many hours. We're not going to torture you anymore, he said, smiling brutally when the Christian looked up. We will send you instead to Siberia, where the snow never melts. It is a place of great suffering. You and your family will fit in well. Paulus, instead of being depressed, smiled. The whole earth belongs to my father, Captain. Wherever you send me, I will be on my father's earth. The captain looked at him sharply. We will take away all that you own. You'll need a high ladder, Captain, for my treasures are stored up in heaven. Paulus still wore a beautiful smile. We'll put a bullet between your eyes, shouted the captain, now angry. If you take away my life in this world, my real life of joy and beauty will begin, answered Paulus. I'm not afraid of being killed. The captain grabbed Paulus by his tattered prison shirt and screamed into his face, we will not kill you. We will keep you locked alone in a cell and allow no one to come and see you. You cannot do that, captain, said Paulus, still smiling. I have a friend who can pass through locked doors and iron bars. No one can separate me from the love of Christ. That is the gospel. And that's an example of a gospel life. And that's what he's called me and you to. Your creator has reconciled you and saved you if you turn from your sin and turn to face him. And that is the only hope you and I have in this life and the life to come. And so, Father, we lean into you and that hope. We're thankful, God, that you have spared nothing to pursue us and to chase us. We know that all things were created by you and for you. Even why we're here, it's not about us. It's for your glory. When we sing, it's not to make us feel better. It's to bring more glory to you. And why do you deserve glory, Lord? Well, this is a handful of reasons that we're looking at right here. I'm humbled and blown away by the stuff that you have done for us and you continue to do for us. If you're here in the room today and you uh, don't know your creator, you don't know your savior, Jesus, you've got no hope, that can change today. If you're online and that's you, that can change today. You reach out if you're online and talk to somebody there. If you're here in the room today and you want to step into relationship with Jesus, then you just have a conversation with him right now. God, please forgive me of my sin. I want to put you in the driver's seat of my life. I believe Jesus, you are Lord. I believe that you died for me and yet you didn't stay dead. You've conquered sin. You've conquered death. You rose from the grave. Every other religious leader is still dead in their tomb, but not Jesus. He's got the ability to make dead things live. And he can give new life to your heart. Ask for his forgiveness right where you are. Let him wrap you up with those strong, gentle, nail-scarred hands. Let him tell you who you really are and what he's really got for you. 
in the days ahead. Father, we lift our voices to you now just as a declaration of worship, acknowledging just how great you are, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.